You're listening to the Outspoken Bible from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Well, welcome to the Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, Fiona. Hello, Jane. Lovely to see you. Um, We are moving on in our discussion on Mark's Gospel, reading chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, really, three three chapters. Uh, Before we do that, just a couple of things to let you know about. There are still resources available on the SBS website. So there's uh, Wonder Walks that you can do on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Although, as Jen has just said to me, we're off air. Easter continues beyond Easter. So you could do those wonder walks at some other point during, perhaps during the Easter holidays, something fun to do as a family. And the Easter Reader, it also continues beyond Easter. If you haven't had a chance to find that yet and investigate it, then that is available on scottish.bible forward slash Easter. Here we are. Neil, do you have a glovers off for us? Yeah, I, I want to talk this morning about my favourite meal of the day, which is probably breakfast. Oh, yes. Yeah, see, that's interesting. Always. That's an interesting response. Uh, immediately I said that, both uh, Jen stuck her hand up, uh, thumb up, and uh, you said, oh, yes. So what's really interesting about the word breakfast is one of the enthusiasm. I love breakfast as well. We, we um, There's a fantastic bakery in Aberfeldy, and I've been uh, having a fresh bread made from the bakery at breakfast time on toast with, well, this morning I made it for our daughter Susie, uh, poached eggs. But, and we've got loads of fresh eggs at the moment because the hens of Aberfeldy have been going crazy of late. And every time I do a visit, <laughs> somebody says, oh, before you go, I've got a box of eggs for you. I even had a goose egg the other day there, which is really, really nice. Um, make a fantastic omelette. But the word breakfast, it's a funny word, isn't it? As I'm going to break my fast. Uh, and it's almost quite a violent word. I have been fasting and I have been going without food and I have been very, very hungry and now I will break the fast. It's very, very intentional. It's very, very deliberate. And it speaks to the fact that both there are periods of not eating of the fasting and periods of eating. And it speaks to me of a very sort of intentional relationship with food as opposed to casual relationship. I will not eat, I will not eat, and now I shall break the fast. And it strikes me that that there is something very important about having a, a very noticing, intentional relationship with food, that when our relationship with food is casual, when we are in, when we are, when we just use eating uh, and we don't care what we eat and we eat on the go uh, or eat driving in the car or things like that we we miss the value of of food um and i think there's there is much in the gospels and in jesus's teaching about food food makes its way into the lord's prayer and give us our daily bread it's almost the the first thing that we ask for. Um, Jesus' uh, most commonly cited miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. And, and in John's gospel, what do we discover Jesus doing with his disciples after the resurrection, making them breakfast? So um, I think breakfast is my rant of the day because I think it reminds me of the need to have an appreciative, intentional and, and good relationship with food both when I am not eating and when I am breaking the fast. So today 
we're what we're doing is we're going into quite a short, intense um, section in the middle of Mark's gospel. We're picking up from Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-six, and we're reading through to the end of chapter ten. And last week, when we came to an end, um, Neil, you said something about how the the miracle we see at the, at the beginning of chapter eight is linked very closely to the section we're reading from yeah. today. But I thought it might be interesting to talk about why why is it that chapter eight places the the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. Uh, right next to the declaration that Peter makes about Jesus. So I think, first of all, it's worth saying this. Nearly always, um, Bible scholars, when they write commentaries, they try to find a structure uh, in the the book. Um, And what's quite telling is people really do disagree about these sorts of of structures or sometimes they seem very very forced uh, i read i read a, a comment i've got a commentary on john where every single part of a verse is categorized as to what it is and then trying to find a structure and it always feel, feels quite forced i have to say with mark's gospel pretty much everybody agrees on the structure which tells you first of all that it might well be there um and and it does feel to to be quite part of the book. It feels that in Mark's gospel, something is happening between about chapter eight and the end of um, chapter 10, what we're coming to today. Um, and most people would agree that it's it feels like it's a two-part book. Um, so part one is based around Galilee. Um, it's around the world of the synagogues. It, it's moving from place to place. And part two very much is headed towards Jerusalem. And uh, there's a verse in uh, chapter 10, I'm just looking it up now, chapter 10, verse 32, they were on the road going on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And this feels like a point where now we're moving towards Jerusalem. So there appears to be a whole structural change that's happening inside these chapters, 8 through to 10, some kind of transition. And one of the transitions is around the identity of Christ being gradually unveiled to the disciples. Uh, and this happens with, with Peter, who is asked, who do you think that I am? And he says, some people say John the Baptist, some people say Elijah, some people say one of the prophets, but I think you're the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is to come. And and at that point, though, then uh, Peter gets very upset uh, because Jesus then says, I've got to die. So the minute Peter says Christ, Jesus says cross. And uh, what what appears to be happening here is that Peter's very happy with the Christ part of things, but he's much less sure about the cross part of things. And uh, he says, never let it happen. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. And what's quite interesting is there appears to be some kind of partial insight into who Jesus is from on behalf of Peter. He gets the cross part, sorry, he gets the Christ part, but he doesn't get the cross part. And immediately before that in Mark, and let's just agree for a moment that Mark is a structural genius. Um, we've got the story of the blind man being healed, who is healed in two stages. He's healed once, he vaguely sees people walking around, but they look like trees, and then Jesus heals him a second time. And it's almost as if Mark is saying the second part of the book is the second healing. Mm-hmm. The first part of the book has got you to a point where you can see people like trees. You can see that Jesus is the Christ but you still don't get it. And it's almost as if the second part of Mark is teaching the disciples what the second thing is, which is cross. And that's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen now as Jesus sets up this reality. 
And just to firm, further affirm this, one of the one of the structural hinge points of Mark as well is the affirmation of of Jesus being the Christ, which comes from another voice. And then it begins with the baptism in uh, chapter one, where it says, "This is my Son, the Beloved." And then we have that moment in this transition chapter in the Transfiguration, where the voice from heaven says, "This is my beloved Son." And then stunningly at the cross, it's not God who says it, but it's the centurion who says, "This is the Son of God." And it feels mm. that that structure as well is, is fitting in those three points. Yeah. So so interesting, isn't it? I mean, one of the things that struck me when I was reading through was, was and we've talked about this before we started, Jesus, I think, is really spelling it out, isn't he, in, in these chapters about what's going to happen. And yet they still don't seem to quite get that. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that because when we read it, it seems quite straightforward. It's not like he's using difficult language. You know, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried i'm going to be crucified i'm going to rise again i was wondering if had had they been so steeped in this way of seeing the messiah and what he would be and what he would do although they heard what he was saying they just couldn't take that leap of seeing that god could work in a different way than they'd always expected god to work and that made me think are we are we still at that in the church today that you know, if somebody burst into one of our meetings and said, no, this is the way God wants it to be, you know, we'd, we'd be outcries around heresy and things. And quite rightly so, because we should challenge what people are saying. But are our minds so set sometimes in um, the way we've seen things and always seen things and always understood the Bible that we're not ready um, to see God explaining something to us in a different way? I suppose it's a bit like as well Peter and Cornelius, isn't it? You know, that that dream on the roof in the book of Acts that how Peter, it must have been so hard for him, you know, to say what God's saying that these things are good that I've been told all my life are evil. So I wonder if it's a bit like that for the disciples, this lack of not being able to get it. I mean, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it's the, it's Peter that it's happening to mm, consistently. Yeah. So so you kind of think there's a layer to that as well of like, you, you know, you would yeah. think there would have been a moment of, oh yeah, I remember the transfiguration or I remember when Jesus said, oh, maybe this is something similar. Yeah. And to be fair that he did react positively on, on the roof. Yeah, he knew this was what Jesus was like. Yeah. 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 Have, have there, I'm interested in knowing, um, have the, have there been times in, in your life where you've gone, whoa, I used to always think that and I don't think that anymore? Yes, often. <laughs> As the older I got, I would say, um, I, I, I don't know what the reason for that is. That, that I think in, my, in the work that I've done, I've had the real privilege of meeting lots and lots of different people who, who have a different theology from me, have had a different upbringing from me. And I don't think if we listen to other people, we can't have those moments. I mean, sometimes we might have that moment and then come back and think, oh, well, you know, I, what I think is, is what I'm sticking with. But sometimes those conversations have said um, have said to me, you know, you need to rethink this. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm struggling at the moment to think of something very specific to hang that on because it sounds all a bit <laughs> vague. Um, I think... See, I, I have them, but I'm too scared to name them. Okay. Yes, I would. Oh. I would say the same. There's some like that. So, yeah. And are you talking about something that's just a snap thing, Neil? Or are you talking about? Because sometimes I think there's also a gradual shift in thinking. Um, well, for me, some of the one of the biggest ones happened both. I had what could only be described as a word from the Lord, but then a sustained period of biblical reflection, which came in behind that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think both. there was a time in my life when yeah. I actually 
had to break down everything that I, I believed about Jesus and the Bible. I, and I think I probably I was very close to, uh, you know, just saying, oh, well, the, this is all nice stories and stuff, but it's not, it, it's not really, it's not really God speaking to me through the Bible and all the things that, you know, I, I would now say that I do believe, but I had to sort of deconstruct all that and then rebuild it again um, to struggle yeah. with some mm-hmm. of the doubts and questions that I had. And, um, I, I, at the time, I was probably quite, you know, I thought it was the end of something, but it wasn't at all. It was the big, it was the start of something new. And in some ways, maybe it's a bit like the disciples here with Jesus when he starts to say that this is what this is about. Just like the, that's mm-hmm. why he asked the question, wasn't it? So, and I, and I pray that's an ongoing process for me that I never become so sh- so not have one view of things that I can't listen in. I mean, there's mm-hmm. time and place for saying no, this is actually it, and I'm sticking to that. But we've got to be ready to listen and have conversations about things that we've always just accepted in a certain way. I think it's interesting, Jen, as well, that you you talk about that in terms of endings and beginnings, though, because I I think my experience of that would often be it's a a continuation of a dialogue that that God is having with me. Yes, I see that now, but I think at the time when it first began to happen... Yes, in the moment it's maybe... yeah. Yeah, when the, when there's when you're confronted with something and you realise your perspective actually has been wrong or or has been off, yeah, and needs to to shift to something. Yeah, there there is a sense of an ending and a beginning in that. So I think I think this happens in in two ways, in in Mark. I think there's a there's a massive shift that happens in terms of understanding that the people of God in, includes the Gentiles in a, in a very radically inclusive way. In fact, includes lots of of different people in a radically different way. And I think part of that that shift is that that wonderful story of Jesus meeting the side of Phoenician woman, um, which is actually Mark chapter 7, so it precedes this section that we're looking at now. So Jesus is, is pushing people out to embrace into the people of God, the Gentiles, and also beginning to set aside the parts of the Jewish law. Um, in fact, arguably setting aside the law. So that's a massive shift in how you see mm-hmm. the world. But there's also another shift, which is Jesus is setting the cross before us as failure, or at least apparent failure and loss. And we, we've all been involved in things which just didn't work, which we, which we prayed and, and hoped for, and then just, just came to nothing. And you thought, mm-hmm. oh, God can't have been part of that. Or similarly, we've been part of things which have been successes. And people have said, well, God must be blessing this because look, look at the success, which, by the way, always takes me to that moment in Acts where the uh, the, the Jewish Christians in, in Jerusalem say to Paul, look at the number of converts we've got. Uh, and it feels that that slight boasting of numbers is going on. Yeah. But, but there is something to do there with failure as well. And all of us have been, and this is stuff, is really stuff, really tough, where ministries, jobs, things we'd set our hopes on, have failed. And and Jesus is actually saying, my ministry is going to be like that. And it's one of those things. And I think we really push against that as well. But but that make that makes me wonder about about the framing of how we are even having this discussion. Because because are, are we putting things into into opposition? So so we're 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 making success and failure even terms that we're using to describe what we're talking about here. But but isn't there isn't there something that is a a purpose that comes through what what am I trying to say? Are we polarizing yeah. by talking is about it, success and is failure? It part, 
Is that is that actually unhelpful? And is it part of what's going on here? Maybe, maybe rather than using success and failure, that Jesus is saying the important, what we think is important, what we think is is powerful, what we think is significant and really matters, and is the way God works, are 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 coming down. You know, they're being knocked down by mm-hmm. how God is describe by mm-hmm. Jesus is describing what the kingdom is all about, and through death and. Eh, something that seems abhorrent maybe to the disciples on the death on the cross mm-hmm. it's actually god's kingdom is shown in, in weakness and smallness and insignificance yeah and, and i i mean i have huge sympathy for james and john in these chapters that we've read because they were up the mountaintop and and were part of the transfiguration then you know there must have been that sense neil you talked about of we're part of a really successful ministry here and and then you get to that bit at the end in verse 34 five isn't it of of chapter 10 they just don't get it at all do they because they're coming in saying well we we want the best places yeah you know and i I think we so easily as humans fall into that trap don't we we fall into the james and john trap of thinking yeah i'm part of something successful here check me yeah oh check you really do check yourself because that's yeah that's not what this is When I was taught a Paul, a theology of Paul by my old professor, John Barclay, he said that Paul's understanding of the cross had three dimensions, one of which was the classic version that we all talk about, about God dying for our sins, which, which surprisingly is very, very rarely explicit in the Gospels. One of the very few explicit mentions is here, actually, it's 1045, Mark 1045, where it says the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's pretty unusual in the Gospels. It is under the surface. It shows up, for example, uh, where Jesus' uh, communion says, this is my body broken for you. Um, The second dimension that that, uh, Paul talked about, but is very prevalent in the Gospels and, and here as well is the is the cross as a model of a way of being that the, the living the life of cross of sacrifice of loss is a model for for discipleship and in paul he talks often about being crucified with christ um so the first one is christ is crucified for me second one is i am crucified with christ but there's a third dimension of john barclay used to say that for him he felt this was the strongest actually element in paul which is the complete subversion of the ordinary order of the world and Mm. we we miss that so for example but it's much more prevalent than we sometimes think so first corinthians one um i know this is about mark but i'm going to talk about paul for a minute um he Paul says, listen to the word of the cross, which is a, a, which shames the wise and the powerful. And mm-hmm. it, he's talking about a, a, an entire judgment on all the hierarchies that we create. Mm-hmm. Now, jumping back into Mark, it seems that a lot of what's going on here is Jesus subverting all these categories. That's why he's blessing mm-hmm. children here. That's um, why he is refusing to stay long on the mountaintop and immediately plunges down to work with the mm-hmm. guy with the evil spirit. Jesus is mm-hmm. subverting categories about what matters here. And I think one of the challenges for me, I found these verses hugely challenging, mm-hmm. is to think how much have I bought in yeah. to this system? Um, many years ago in Belfast, um, three, me and two friends 
and this is actually a, a story I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on, eh, because I, I still wrestle with it. Um, me and two friends, Steve and Rob, decided to live in community. And we had a shared bank account and we tried to worship together and we tried to eat together. Um, and we tried to live in this different way. So I was very influenced by these sorts of teachings here that you get in Mark. Um, and eh, over the years, I've lost that. It, mm-hmm. It's petered out. It didn't actually last terribly well in the in the flat that we did. You know, after a few months, I think we only had about three or four different worships together. But I also accept that it's not really sustainable to live in that sort of way for, for prolonged periods of, of time. And also, um, those relationships that Steve and Rob and I formed were very, very profound. I mean, Mm-hmm. Steve has just started off as a missionary in Romania. There is something very profound about trying for this way of life, but I also question how sustainable it is. And uh-huh. and rather than live in denial about the fact that this morning I was also having conversations with someone about buying a property, for example, and playing the capitalist game, we, how do uh-huh. we live in that tension of realism but uh-huh. idealism that these verses set up? Because we can't all be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's interesting that Jesus' response to James and John here is to bring the child. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. I think they're in a house. I had this, this uh, picture of them being, of being in the house and there's a child playing and Jesus invites the child over to, to be with them. And, it, and it's that he uses, there's two mentions in these verses that we read about children. And this is the first one in the direct response to James and John seeking that kind of power. And then he says those incredible words about if you welcome a child, um, if you welcome one of these children, then you welcome me. And and is that at the heart mm-hmm. of what you're getting at, Neil? That it, and a, and a, a, this could sound a bit of a, an opt out of the whole thing. Or well, we don't need to live in a community, but we do need to act as if we're in community. But is that is that more of the reality of the culture we live in now? that our attitude has to be right in the way we welcome each other. Um, because if we're not welcoming the insignificant and the the little and the unimportant, then we're not welcoming Jesus. It's a huge statement and a, and, and, and a challenge. I mean, there's so many challenging things in this bit of Mark, but that is also deeply oh, challenging. Oh, hugely, hugely yeah. challenging. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I read this today and just went, we just need to go. Let's be challenged by this, but but also in a uh-huh. way which, oh, I, I don't know. It's this realism question. It, it's always being intentional. It goes right back to the thing you know we were talking about with breakfast. But I mean, Jen, you're you're you know as someone who's witnessed your life for twenty years now, you know your your determined calling. I mean, I, I don't know if this goes too far. Could you almost say your entire ministry has been doing the thing that Jesus does, which is bringing the child into the midst? I would, I would pray that was the case. Yes. So this is your. These are your like verses to describe your whole life. <laughs> I just Jen. love that both of these, both of these uh, interactions with children are in this bit that we're talking about this morning. And someone once said to me, "If we welcome children correctly, not only are we welcoming Jesus, but we'll we'll know how to welcome everyone correctly." So I think I would take yeah. the stance that if churches get how we welcome children properly, then we've got it. Oh, that's, that's such a challenge because we've just let it go. Well, so many churches today wouldn't even have any connection with children. And I realise that this mm-hmm. listening to this could be, that's really, really hard for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, th- mm-hmm. I mean, I spoke to a woman a few weeks ago who had, um, we were on a, a messy church conference call. There was mainly people from England. I think I was the only Scot. 
And she was in her mid-70s. She lived in a small village. They'd had a messy church before COVID. And she said to me in the call, in our small group, um, we just couldn't do anything. We're all too old. We're all too vulnerable. We couldn't do messy church anymore. And then she said, but I've been going around the village and I meet up with all the mums and dads sometimes and we go for walks together and I give birthday cards and I talk to them. And, and I, I said, well, but you have. <laughs> you have done something. And she, she mm-hmm. put everything mm-hmm. into this. This is the way we do church, even though it was a new way of mm-hmm. doing church. And hadn't realised that by being in the village and spending time with these children, with their parents or carers, uh, she was doing what Jesus asked to do. So even for churches that have no children regularly worshipping with them, what can we do in our communities that says children matter? The other thing that challenges me here so is, the, is the past about temptation to sin. You know, mm-hmm. just the, the, you know, what is sin in that context? But, but you know, the, those verses about cutting off your arm or cutting off, gouging out your eye, mm. if it causes you to sin. I mean, it's very, I mean, I struggle with that as well because it's, it's, it's imagery which views the, the body as being slightly your enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, so I've seen so much ill health attached to that, where people don't value the body. You know, and Jesus Himself comes as a body; He ennobles the body; He shows the potential of the body. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think Jesus is talking literally there, but there does. What is it to cut off part of yourself in order that other parts can live? It's so hard because yeah. the easy answer is to say, "Oh, but there's things in our life that we need to let go of." to hold mm-hmm. on to Jesus tighter. But that's all well if Jesus had said, oh, well, let go of your... He did also in other contexts, but, you know, let go of your money, let go of your possessions, let go well, of your... Well, he says it here, yeah. that's a passage here. Yeah, yeah but the, the yeah. hands uh-huh. and the feet and the eyes, these are things we need and they're good. Mm. So so what is he wanting us to watch out for that is that is getting in the way of us following him? And I, I get scared of that because there's... Because there's things I don't want to lose, but there's also a form of discipleship. Donald Miller talks about this in um, his book, Blue Like Jazz, where he says there was a period in discipleship where we all became like Navy SEALs. And we just like very aggressively went after this highly disciplined form of Christian faith. And people talk like that. But it's I've, I've seen how that means that people end up just compressing themselves and and create distortions within themselves which then radiate out or we were having a discussion beforehand about situations where we've seen leadership and and fiona you were talking about a situation where people you knew had been caught up in this where um people had behaved in this very kind of strict kind of righteous in very uh, proper forms of leadership, but it actually had concealed forms of violence, which had mm-hmm. had radiated out. You know, Jerry Hughes, mm-hmm. the, the great Jesuit uh, writer, used to say in the spiritual life, um, the first rule is no violence. And yet mm-hmm. Hughes, Jesus, yeah. using very violent imagery. And if, mm-hmm. if, is it important, I'm just thinking here, that when Jesus says that, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, he is, he is just been talking about the child again 
and that if you put a millstone, MD puts a millstone around this child, this little one, mm. and causes them to stumble to drown, it'd be better if you were thrown into you you, you were thrown away. So is it about the things in our life that would make us abuse our power over other people? So mm-hmm. using your hands to just seek your your own benefit, making meals with your hands that are only for me. Uh, where do our feet take us? Is it about just going my path, you know, just doing what I want and achieving what I want in life, not going down the path that will take me to the person that needs me or is struggling, your eyes, you know, what, what am I looking at? What am I what am I letting myself see that God wants me to see? And I don't mean that in like nice things and bad things. I mean like things that really matter. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe I hadn't really thought about that before, that the connection between this cutting off is connected with the causing a little one to stumble, using our power inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Power is right at the heart of all this, isn't it? Oh, totally. Power is right at the heart of all this. And, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's... We talk a lot about the power of the cross, but the power of the cross is in its in its weakness, isn't it? Yeah, it has a. The, the cross is interesting because it's not. It's, I've been getting ready for good uh, for Palm Sunday and, and and thinking about some of the dynamics in Jesus's choice of a of a of a donkey. Mm-hmm. It's a subversion of power, but it's not. It it also still has an authority yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, Palm Sunday is interesting, isn't it? Because it, 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 it does it, because we, we tend to focus on the the riding on the donkey, but he's still riding into town and, and receiving the adulation of the people. Yeah, so there's, there yeah. is an utter authority in that, yeah. Did he look kind of silly, though, on the donkey? I don't know. Nobody says that. That's only because we associate but... them with Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> and with a hat. But, the, but there's something paradoxical about it. Otherwise, no, no prophet would have gone, behold your king riding on a horse, you know. That's not a prophetic headline. Mm-hmm. You know? I just, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of when I was reading because again, just before the bit about, um, uh, you know, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, and Jesus, the second time he brings the child in. Sorry to keep going on with the children, but that's why I'm here. Um, so he brings the, <laughs> he he brings the child in and says, "You need to become like a child," mm-hmm. and. I think when I first used to read this a long time ago, you know, you get this kind of twee image of children. Now, you don't need to spend much time with little children to know, you know, they're multifaceted people and mm-hmm. you need a lot of energy and time to spend time with little people. Um, so it's not about being kind and good. I'm sure nobody thinks that anymore. I'm sure I did at one point. That was blown out of the water. But is there something in... in Jesus, I think a lot of adults I find are um, terrified of appearing silly mm-hmm. or appearing to be doing something that is labelled as something you do as a child. Something mm-hmm. simple as colouring in or painting. One, one of my most beautiful moments at Messy Churches ever has been when I've met adults, found an adult sitting painting or creating something mm-hmm. because they've let go of that um, fear or of, of appearing fear child. Play. Of appearing childish. Mm-hmm. See, again, mm-hmm. I haven't mentioned C.S. Lewis. It's childlike, yes, isn't it? I haven't, childlike yeah. versus childish, I think. I haven't mentioned C.S. Lewis for a while. So here's a... No, you haven't. Um, but you know, the bit later on in the in the Bible where it says, when I... It's at Paul who says, when I grew up, I put away... Mm, childish things. First my childish 13. things. Yeah, so C.S. Lewis took that, I think, 
I wonder if it's at the start of one of the Narnia books with these sort of note to whoever he's writing it to. He says, um, when I grew up, I put away childish things, including the fear of appearing childish. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, that freedom to just mm-hmm. be yourself. So here's Jesus on a donkey. <laughs> which, yeah. um, you know, I just, he doesn't care what yeah, his images I, are like. Do I look silly? Yeah, and, and that to me links back to First Corinthians 1 because I was aware of that, Neil, when you started speaking about that. I, I mean, these are really significant. That's a really significant chapter for me in terms of thinking about foolishness mm. and foolproof. Yeah, yes, similar, um, very similar. Because it, it's very much about the foolish things of the world, shame the wise. Mm. Um, and it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, it's a childlike, playful dependent not taking yourself too seriously yeah attitude that actually what what we see in Jesus is he utterly carries the authority of 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 who he is and yet he is able to to appear foolish I wrote a wee piece about adults and children and comparing them when I was trying to think about what Jesus meant about being being like a child to enter the kingdom so I, I can I read it. Is that okay? I, we would love that. Um, adults rush, children toddle. Adults hide their feelings, children scream. Adults chat, children question. Adults plan for the future, children live in the moment. Adults are distracted, children gaze. Adults jog, children skip. Adults try and do it themselves. Children know that they need someone. It's not, it's not a refined piece of writing. It was just thoughts. That's brilliant. That's so good. It's beautiful, Jen. Don't do yourself down. But I think if we thought if we thought that about what it means to follow Jesus, it might be more, it may be more fun. I don't know, even when it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> do you know, I, I was walking behind a little girl who was skipping the other day. She was walking along the, the street and I, I, I couldn't stop watching her because she, she couldn't help but yeah. skip. So she was holding her mum's hand and, you know, mum was walking along at a normal pace and she just kept doing this little skip every so often. And it, just, it, it probably was the highlight of my day. It sounds a bit, well, I mean, the highlight of your day these days is going out for a walk, isn't it? But yeah. but in that moment, there was something very joyful about that because it, and it, because it was it was intuitive to her. It wasn't it wasn't something forced. Somebody hadn't said, right, you should skip now. Yes. and But she was allowing that bubbling up to happen. And the question to ask ourselves is, when did you stop skipping? Jen, have you got a gem for us today? I do. Uh, and I, li- I like to emphasise again that my gems are just taken from lots of lots of conversations with other people, really, because that's what we all do, is listen to other people and work out the best thing to do. I thought after our conversation in Mark, it would be good to talk about prayer and talking about prayer with children, which seems appropriate since we've just ended up talking about prayer. I th- where to begin? I think the first thing is that knowing that prayer is not a skill to be learnt, uh, like some other things we have to learn in life, like here, here's how you do it and then now you've got it right. But skill is a lifelong conversation with God and we need to share that with our children. This is just like with people, you need to keep, we, we talk to each other, we get to know each other better. It's something we'll keep on learning and we need to talk to, with our children as well about how we find it really hard to pray at times and how we pray for things and they don't happen and sad things happen that we wanted not to happen. So sharing our how we experience prayer, I think is really important. Um, 
and not ex- you know then leading them to a place of disappointment when as it will happen uh, their prayers don't seem to be answered i think there's some practical things to do with children um Lectio Divina, which I always wonder if I haven't pronounced right, but an ancient spiritual practice that is often seen um, with adults. But really, we can really simplify that and do it, do it with children. If you search on the internet, you'll find Lectio Divina with children. And it's a simple way of reading the Bible and just asking questions like, imagine being there, what would it have been like? Um, what What's the bit that you really noticed? And then with your children, turning that into a conversation with God about what they've read in the Bible. And you could, doesn't need to be a full Bible. It could be a picture book Bible. You can So look that up, Lectio Divina with children. Um, another, other ancient spiritual practice you can do with children is the examine, which is just at nighttime saying, how was the day? What do you think God liked about your day? Is anything that happened today that God maybe would want us to change and do differently tomorrow? So I think that works really well. Um and knowing that God loves us and he just wants us to talk to him. I really remember Neil saying a few po- number of podcasts ago, you know, our fear that our prayers won't be answered shouldn't stop us from praying. Uh, just keep asking God for what we want. That's what he wants to do. And, and then dealing mm-hmm. with the problems when they arise. Mm-hmm. And to finish off, I'd like to quote a wee thing from a friend of mine called Martin Payne, who used to work with Bible Reading Fellowship. He was part of the Messy Church team. And he's just recently retired. And on uh, Facebook, he posted this a few weeks ago. And he says, discipleship, or we could put prayer in there, is not a national curriculum. Spiritual learning, or praying, can happen at any age. Children can come closer to God than many who are older. And the oldest adults will always have more to learn. We need to swallow our age-related pride and our power games around so-called Christian maturity. And instead learn humbly to toddle into the kingdom very apt jen it was like you planned that That's brilliant <laughs> thank you so much that's great um next time we are picking up from the beginning of chapter 11 and we're reading right through to the end of the gospel so that's uh, 16 verse 20 so thank you very much to both of you it's been a delight as ever and thank you to alistair who's been sitting patiently listening and um we'll have the job of editing this uh, and next time we'll be yeah finishing off mark and that will um, be out in another fortnight's time so thank you very much for listening and join us next time 